0: What up, this is Dart Adams, and this is episode 68 of Dart Against Humanity. As a writer, I'm worked for hire. And in this space, I often have to um, hunt and then cook what I kill. And then eat it. And there's this is weird dynamic where I, I have to first to go out, find a story... That I think I can write about, execute, find the angle Then I have to find somebody who's willing to Actually take me on with this story So that means that I have to sell them on it I have to sell them on the idea of the story That I already think is important And I think people should hear But they also things have to fall in line Where they have also have to see the value in it Or have to sell them on it And then based on the value that they perceive in it, their valuation, then they pick up that story and they pay me to write it. That's on a level where you're doing a one-off piece or an article. Then it's also in like the book world. So I have, if you have a literary agent or you find somebody who's a publisher, you have to go through this. You believe in something, you think something's important, but they're not there. And the problem is is that there's this weird dynamic where I have to sell you on how big this is or how much people will also think this is. But if they don't have that same value system or they don't see what you see in this project, now there's this disconnect because ultimately they have to sell this and if they don't believe in it the same way you do how do you expect them to do that and the thing about having like someone like a literary agent is they quite literally work for you and they're not going to get anything if that thing that they're trying to sell you know doesn't have the same valuation that the writer believes it has so there's this weird dynamic and what it does is it kind of makes you rethink what you're doing and overthink. And it's just a mess, right? So, for instance, let's say that you have um, an idea for a project. And you're trying to do everything you can to sell it. If they're already on board, you're going to have a completely different approach to it. Then you do if you have to sell it hard or you're trying to convince that person. Because if you already realize, hey, this thing has value. Your approach is going to be different. The dynamics going to be different. And when you're writing it, it might be different. You might you're not you might not press as much. You might not push as much. It might be way more around um, fluid and effortless. And the project might come out or start out differently. Whereas if it is, you're going to have to go back and retool and retool. Because it's not about so much the reader. It's about trying to sell that person. That's the bridge. Or the obstacle. To getting there. If that makes any sense. So there's that whole situation and this is all the all what always happens when you're a writer. You think, hey, um, I'm going to do a piece about, I don't know. Let me let me think of something. Okay, so uh, you have, if anybody's been paying attention, back in the day, uh, there was always this uh, argument about when um, a particular came actually came out. People thought it came out in like late mid to late December nineteen eighty nine, or if it came out in actually in January nineteen ninety. Um River City Ransom for NES. So I actually went back and I did research to figure out exactly when this game came out. The best I can the best I can hash out is that it came out uh sometime between like December 15th to 22nd, 1989, because, again, the normal release date for games is the same release date that you would have for like uh, CDs or VHS, which is a Tuesday. But during the holiday season, the release dates usually change from Tuesday to Friday. Why? Because during the holiday season, kids don't buy their own games. It's usually some parents or grandparents. And the time that they usually have jobs, and the time that they can usually go out to a mall or to a shopping center to do these type of things, get electronics and stuff like that, because this isn't their specialty, is a Friday. So they go to the uh, and they they go to the mall or they go to wherever store, and everything's laid out for that Friday. To cater to that so that for so that would be uh just like one thing, like just to give you an idea, but I think that this is a good story, and I think people will read it, and I think people will be interested in it, and I'm trying to convince you, yo, this would be big and this would bring in um eyes and it would bring in which would bring in ad revenue, and people will like r t it and then like, they'll recommend this article because this is something people have interest in. But what if the particular editor or person, point person that you're trying to convince has no interest or very little knowledge about that and doesn't see the value in it? So now you got to go find somebody else who would see your vision and understand the importance of this article, how big it could be. Because if that person believes in it or is excited for it or can push it, that can change the entire dynamic between somebody who's just like, I don't think this is going to do well. Sell me on it. Your writing, your entire process can be transformed, can be changed, can be altered just by that energy. All right. So that's one of the things that I'm talking about. Now, the, another thing, another d- dimension of writing, something that I'm very um conscious of, is when you write for television or film, that you don't want to be too... um cliché you don't want to fall into this um void where you keep repeating the same um tired uh tropes the same type of themes and you don't want to um be unoriginal you want to find if even if you do something that's like been done t- like s- several times here and there uh you want to find a way to find a brand new twist on it make it like new so one thing that I do is, I watch all types of films, like genres and stuff like that, and what I do is I study those recurring themes, the, uh, the different things that happen. Like you there's this typical uh, progression of things that happen in film, and you don't want to be too one note you want to try to do something different. So what I do is I just like pretty much monitor all those things and try to figure out how can you do it differently? How can you change that how can you change that situation? How can you uh, innovate? As opposed to doing the same thing over and over again. And people tend to fall into this um this pattern. So there's a there's jokes there's like um if you've ever seen Disney and Nickelodeon shows people, They tend to follow a similar thing And crazy stuff happens And there's always this off-the-wall thing And this wacky thing that they do Because you're writing for kids So you have to do something off-the-wall or crazy And it's like Sometimes it gets to be a formula If you've ever watched um, If you've ever been on YouTube or you've ever been on like Twitter, Instagram, whatever. There's these videos that people do is like one minute how to make this song. Make a migo song. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. And now you lay the vocals. And now you put on the um you put on this. And you do the um the ad-libs. And here's the song. And then they play the song. That's what I'm talking about. It's a formula. So when you're a writer, you notice these things. You notice all the familiar television and film tropes. So what I do is I watch for these things and I study them so I don't do them because I'm so I don't want to fall into that same lazy trap. And I'm I'm so hyper aware of it that in film so, okay, what's a good what's a good way to explain this too for people who don't really understand exactly what I'm talking about? All right, so in the early days of Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand, they used to do this thing where, um, and of course, like this is before tw- way before Twitter. This is the '90s, like the early mid '90s. So uh, you would watch Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand and. They would, like, yell out stuff during the movies, which is what black folks and Latino folks, we we, we kind of pioneered that. But to see white folks do it, and ones that were writers, that understood, like, the devices and the things the writers used was really crazy. So, during the movie, someone would say something like, subplot. Or they would just shout out things like, um... This guy's for exposition. Like all these things of that nature. Or, oh boy, here we go. They would just shout out different things from film. Like, it's the bad boy. Oh, anti-hero, you know, and, okay, so a film trope would be, like, um, the cool girl. So, if you've seen the film Gone Girl, pretty much the film Gone Girl is pretty much a breakdown of, a not a breakdown, it's a deconstruction of the cool girl, um, the whole cool girl trope. And the thing is that, why is this a trope? Why is this something that, like... We keep going back to because it's about how there's usually roles for women written by a bunch of dudes. But the thing that the dudes do is they write women from a a perspective of fantasy as opposed to making them fully fleshed out characters. And the thing is that since men have a blind spot in regards to that. They don't even realize they're doing it, which is the other part. The reason I'm so hyper aware of these things is because I know that my writing can suffer because of my blind spots. Whereas there are people that don't even consider it and they just write it and it happens. And then people come up. This character was this. This character was this. This situation was this because, again, blind spots. It's not necessarily I want to do it. Um. Perfect. It's just that I want to do something right and I want to write something that makes sense. That's going to actually um, resonate with people. And the easiest way to resonate with people, not just one group of people. That's like, yeah, I believe that. That's great. Is to actually care. So like with the cool girl uh, situation is that they're one of the guys. They, they don't really nag. They're down for whatever. They don't have a problem with anything the guy does. No matter how stupid it is, she's riding with him. So, and she likes what the guy likes. Now, uh, one of the things that made me realize that, oh shit, there's a lot of uh, women's roles in film. In television where people are like, oh, I really like the way they wrote that girl. And then you're like, oh, shit. She actually isn't a fully fleshed out character. She's just funny or she fits the part because she's comfortable and she doesn't rock the boat because she's the cool girl. She's actually a fucking. um. She's not an actual person. She's a fantasy. She's actually a trope. And you're like, holy shit, I didn't even fucking catch that before. So that's something that even bothers you even more. Because you're like, yo, I didn't even realize that. Okay, so the perfect... So when I think about a film or television or a woman's role where you would think, where you like the character, where, wait a second, they actually aren't following that trope. Perfect example, um, Friday Night Lights. Tammy Taylor isn't the cool girl. She butts heads with a husband all the time. Football coach, she actually fights him on football and the culture of it and what it actually leaves the boys with after they're done. Because a lot of them don't really go any further, much further than we were a high school star. They peak, a lot of them peaked in high school and they can never get back there because they're always trying to fight the glory Of winning the state championship in Texas. And some of them are able to move on and become, you know, productive members of society. But for the most part, the game kind of leaves them broken more than it does, like, help them, even though the father will be like, well, these kids didn't really have direction or anything to be before or any hope before, but football actually gave it to them. But then Tammy's like, well, if they followed the route of education, They be be on a much, you know, a much better in a much better place as opposed to putting all their eggs in a football basket. So when you see like all the uh, all the fights and like Tammy and Eric have and how Eric a lot of times like his wife isn't always right. It's like an actual relationship. So it's really complicated and there's so many ups and downs. So you don't feel like Tammy Taylor is just a character she's just written just to be oh, she's the hot wife who who uh, is the straight woman and bounces off the jokes. You know, they each have their situations where they go back and forth and the dynamic between him and his daughter is one that's actually believable. Like she's an like she actually has an arc. That's another thing too. So she has an actual character arc. So she's an actual person. And these are the things that when I watch stuff like that, I have to keep in mind. It's like, all right, you have to make sure that every character has an arc and they have growth. And they're actual, they're like people. Which is weird that you have to remind yourself that if you're writing about people. You have to write about people like they're actual humans. You know? You can't just make them a caricature. You have to make them fully fleshed out individuals because that's what people that's what's going to resonate with people. But yeah, when you're a writer, these are the type of things that you're always thinking about. And the thing is that I do this and I may not even be writing anything just the idea of I'm going to do it in the future or the near future, and I don't want to fall into that trap for later. That sounds crazy, right? I'm agonizing over something I'm not even doing because I'm a writer. Or another part of it is that I'll watch something someone else wrote and created. And I'll analyze it or decompose it as a writer, even though. I have no association with it whatsoever because of storytelling. And when I go, when I do it, and if I don't want to do something that's just like simple and linear, if I want to do something that's kind of off the wall, I want to see what works versus what doesn't. Perfect example, right? Uh, on Netflix, they came out with this uh, new series called Soundtrack. Oh boy. So it was originally supposed to be called Mixtape. The idea was it's going to tell an actual story, right? It's going to tell a story over a span of years and 10 episodes. But it's going to do time jumps, which is tricky. It's going to follow uh, two storylines, the past and the present. And it's going to intertwine them through these stories. So each episode, it jumps around. But you don't know how long ago it starts because they don't tell you. You don't realize that the show is telling a story through uh, uh, two timelines and converging them until the end of the first episode. So you're confused as to what's going on. There's one character. He's in now and then he's in the past. And then there's another character that they introduce you to. And you don't realize until the episode's over that this is her past. And she's not in this timeline now because apparently she's dead. That's not really a spoiler. I think it's important because without it, you, you I'll explain. You'll, you'll kind of get lost. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And then there are all these other characters in the same story who are... um. Related or tied to each other by other people directly and indirectly that are all part of this wider story. And over 10 episodes, you're like, what are they doing? Why is this working? Now, here's the other part that makes it even weirder. It's already hard enough. The reason I'm saying this is already hard enough to tell a story that involves uh, time jumps. Here's, the, here's where it gets even weirder. They involve music. So, I did an episode of uh, Darting Against Humanity before on um, music supervision and film and television. One of my favorite episodes. I might have to do a re-up. Uh, a follow-up episode. Here's where it gets tricky. The music supervisors and music team picked particular songs to highlight Or um, accentuate a situation or represent it that happens within the dynamic of the the show, of the episode, or whatever the characters are supposed to be going through or feeling at that time. But what they also do is have the characters, this is going to sound crazy, what they also do is they have the characters in the show Lip sync it like they're singing it, but that's not where it stops because the characters not only lip sync it, the song that's supposed to highlight or accentuate the scene, but they have full fucking dance numbers to it. So it's a musical, but it's not a musical. What? And here's the other part. Sometimes the song that they pick for the scene or the thing that happened doesn't make any sense. It's a bad choice. But they commit to it. So you have the actor who's going somewhere, runs into somebody and is in a, a, a situation. And then all of a sudden a song comes on. And you're like, why are they? Why is this song playing? Is it because it's like a, a classic song or whatever? And then they start lip syncing to it. Then they start dancing to it. And then people from the scene who are background, who are like background and extras start falling in and doing a dance routine. And, and you're like, OK, first of all, this is distracting. Secondly, this is a bad choice of song. And third, why are they lip syncing it? Because that kind of... um destroys the essence of what it is. Now, if they just wanted to pick songs that went along with the scene and have it play in the background while the person's doing whatever, or contemplating everything, and maybe once in a while if they did a full dance routine to that song, don't fucking lip sync it. And for God's sakes, if you're going to pick a song, make sure the song fits the exact uh, scene. Now, the reason why I brought all this up is because you don't want to lose that storytelling uh, foundation. The point of doing anything is that it resonates with the audience. The audience gets it. Even if it's hard to get, the audience gets it. And they're along for the ride. And they're like, all right, this is weird, but I'm, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I'm invested enough where I want to see how this ends. That was legion. Legion was a mind fuck every single episode. But you were not going to turn away. You were going to see it through. Because you wanted to know. Exactly where they were headed. What's happening no matter how weird it was. You, was, you didn't exactly get what's happening. Twin Peaks. I don't know what's happening but I'm still watching. Because I know it's going to pay off in some way shape or form. My issue with soundtrack was that. It was so weird and disjointed and confusing at points that I didn't think anybody was going to stick who's going to stick around to the 10 episodes to see if it pays off. See what I'm saying now more to the point. I had so many questions after episode one then episode two, episode three, where I started like thinking to myself, what's the timeline here? Um, How many years apart is this? When does this start? They mentioned Snapchat. So does the first part start in 2010, 2011? And I don't want to get any more deeper into that. But I just want to set it up to make you understand me having frustrations with the storytelling, the nonlinear storytelling. I need answers and give me fucking answers so I know to stay, stay invested. Then you have an episode. just like, oh. Damn, now I got to see this through. What happens is, about halfway through the series, something happens where it's explained that the main... The character that's not around for the full series is a writer. And she's creating a book. And that book... (laughs) Project that she's trying to sell to a writer. This is why I'm getting to this. Is trying to sell to a writer or a publisher. Is this um, high-minded concept piece about identity and how it changes over time. And so, the story that she tells involves multiple characters, and 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 a whole lot of time jumps. And a whole lot of um, uh, symbolism that may confuse the uh, the reader. And it goes to a point where they have a dinner party and her boyfriend and her friends, she explains it to them. And they're like, they're looking at it. They're looking at the drawings. They're looking at the sequences. And they're like, uh, okay, so... This is supposed to be about identity and this and this and that and this and this. And I thought this was this. I didn't get this. This was this was really confusing. How come this happens here? Why did they choose? Why did you choose this color for this? So she then gets overwhelmed because she realizes that this idea that makes sense in her head doesn't make sense to the wider audience or the reader. And that's where she starts to lose her confidence because she's like, wait a second, I was doing this thing that people think is, oh, my God, this is brilliant. This is beautiful. But then she realizes that, oh, people aren't going to get this. But when she starts dumbing it down or making it try to uh, make more sense to the reader or the viewer, she realizes that she kind of lost the point when she tries to sell it to somebody who's like, I thought this was going to go here and it was going to do this, and it was going to explore this thing more, but then it kind of fell short when she talks to a publisher. And then she gets more discouraged because she realized that because she tried to make it make more sense, now it lost what made it special. And to me, that was kind of the writer or the creator trying to explain to the viewer that It's a parallel to what they're watching. So you're frustrated and confused at what you're watching. And it's the same struggle that the person inside the story that you're watching has. And that thing alone happening made me have to see this shit through. When it was over, I thought it was very flawed. But that's what made me stick through it. Knowing that the writer knows that I'm confused by what the fuck is happening. They finally do explain the time jump. They explain the timeline. And they flesh out exactly what happens in later episodes. But here's the thing. Who's going to stick out for those later episodes? Only people like me who are writers and creators. And even though they're frustrated with what's happening on the screen. They kind of want to see it through. So they know what not to do if anything. Which is crazy. Um. And there's this other uh, part, right, where when you write something and you're connected to it and it's your baby, uh, pretty much. Now you have to separate yourself from that creation of that art in order to sell it. How are you objective about something that came from you? How are you able to cut yourself off from that and say, all right, now let me let me get out of creative mode. Let me get into business mode. It's easier to do with someone else's stuff. It's harder to do when it's yours. And that's ultimately where the disconnect comes with trying to sell something. Because for the most part, the person who's across from you can't do what you do. But because they can't do what you do, they can more objectively look at what has value versus what doesn't. Or so you think. They're not as attached to it emotionally as attached. But you have to find the be- the, the medium or the, the balance where you can find somebody who's as enthusiastic about this project and excited about it as you are and sees the value in it like you do. So possibly they can go and sell it with the same kind of fervor and enthusiasm that you can. Now here's the thing too. Not every writer is good at selling. Not every creator is good at selling. They need somebody else to sell for them or pitch for them. I'm pretty good with pitching. I'm pretty good at selling because I'm passionate about something. I'm knowledgeable about it. And I can go a number of directions and I can pivot looking uh, depending on what that person thinks. So I can get you interested and get you on the hook. But the thing is that that's not necessarily going to get me over the get me over the hill. I'm at the mercy of that person. But I'm also human, so I'm also susceptible to uh, maybe if the person was more genuinely into it or got it, that sample chapter would have been written differently. Or that pitch email would have been written differently. Or that conversation we had would have gone differently because I'm not trying to do X, Y, and Z. I'm far more comfortable with what I'm doing. A chapter of a book or a paragraph from an article will read completely differently based on what you're trying to get across. You know? There's some people when they do their crossover, they push the ball to the other top, th- they push the ball. And the other motherfuckers just drop the ball and they just bring their hand down and it just meets them. It's not as effortless when they do their crossover and they do their spin move. You know, it's just bop, bop versus they're pressing or they're pushing. And that can change the whole move. That could change the whole sequence, potentially. So, um, there's that. Um, I just did a, I posted uh, independent as fuck three it has 32 different, um, independent underground albums, compilations, uh, and in- uh, instrumental projects, uh, scratch turntablism uh, projects from 1999. So, in the list, is 32, it's more like 33, but I mention anywhere between. Fifty and 60, maybe like 60 projects from 1999 overall, so that just went up on my medium, that took me a while, I'm going to do another piece before the year is up, it should be up the day before Christmas, I don't want to get into detail exactly about what it is, what day is today, today's the, today's the 20th. So when I do the next episode, it'll already have been up. So I might as well tell y'all what it is. Cause it's not like anybody's gonna have enough time to write it. Like I already done the research and I'm going to and I'm gonna write it and have it up on by the twenty fourth. So December twenty-fourth, nineteen eighty nine, was the day that Akira finally first got screened in North America, the animated, the legendary animated film. It came out July, I believe July 6th, 1988, but it didn't get dubbed and brought into art houses until this, the week of December 24th, 1989, stateside, Okay. And so I'm going to do this whole piece, uh, 30th anniversary of Akira and its influence in North America and to the growth of um, anime. That's going to go up, um, yeah, again, this day before Christmas, December 24th, uh, 2019, 30th anniversary. Um, I'm doing that right now. I came back from uh, the 11th, December 11th again, I was I presented at the Boston Music Awards, went to the Boston Music Awards, on December 7th, uh, December 17th, I did a panel at, uh, at the, uh, the Cityscape from um, WBUR, which is the NPR headquarters in Boston. And there's the WBUR, there's the artery that deals with arts and culture. And we did a State of New England hip hop panel there. I was one of the um the speakers. We had a whole panel, it was amazing. Uh thank thank you to everybody who came out and braved that horrible weather. It's actually uh Arctic conting Arctic conditions right now. Um as I'm doing this podcast, I don't know if you can actually hear the wind like i'm wearing like a hoodie and i'm like fully dressed in my own living room with the heat on because it's it's again it's winter it's, it surprises everybody when it comes i don't know why we know it's coming but yeah that's going on um runaways came out the final uh marvel television series it's not on disney plus that dropped um season three it was weak it was hella weak it was super disappointing i don't know what the hell they thought they were doing with that i know adaptation of a series is hard especially one as beloved as um runaways is but jesus christ that third season was a mess um Damn, it's just sad that the the Marvel Network shows really like went out like that because now everything is gonna go to Disney Plus. The Mandalorian is bodying shit. The Mandalorian is crazy. The seventh episode just came out. I don't want to get into spoilers, but if you haven't been watching The Mandalorian, find it, watch it. That series is crazy. Um, the Watchmen, nine episode season bananas don't need a second season It's good how it is one of the best series i've ever seen top to bottom no cap just saying that's it's just facts um going back to uh what went wrong with uh runaways they made it 10 episodes it wasn't 13 episodes didn't drag on too long actually it did drag even though it was only 10 episodes which is sad there was just so much that didn't I didn't care after a while, and then the final episode, I'm like, really, this is how we're gonna tie everything up and then even when the series is over you have you're supposed to have like questions answered and you're supposed to feel like some type of satisfaction. I just didn't care anymore. I was like, all right fine i was i was just- i just was like, yeah. Cool, it's over. All right, all right. Then this how they gonna go out? All right, cool. And it wasn't like a unhappy ending, if that's if if that's the word I'm looking for. It wasn't even unhappy. It was just like, oh, it's just is this is the ending? Just let it end. But this is how you do it. All right, whatever. Cool. I don't care anymore either way. It's not like I felt there were so many things that could have done in season three differently. But they just went uh, some directions that just questionable. One thing that they resolved, they did it. It was like, all right, cool. I mean, I guess that's a good way to end it. And then they have all these other loose ends to tie up. And I'm just like, what? This is, all right, cool, whatever. I guess it was just like, all right, guys, we got we got to just like clean up this shit. We got these broken vases. Let's just like sweep them up. You know what I'm saying? Get the dustpan, put it in here. Take these, take these trash bags out. But don't throw the trash in the dumpster out back. Go two streets over and throw the trash in that dumpster. Just in case someone goes and goes back, they could tie it to us. All right. Let's spray this down. You know what I'm saying? Bring out the swiffer wet jet. All right spray some um, Febreze in this bitch and alright let's get out that's pretty much what the end of the episode the end of the series was like all right let's just clean up let's just clean up and go and then take and then take a Uber home. That's pretty much what it felt like shit was trash um and disappointing The only thing left is now that it's Officially, December twentieth. Today is my brother's birthday, and it's also um the day that the uh, is it the rise of Skywalker? Is is the rise of Skywalker? Is that what it is? Interesting. Well, either way, the final Star Wars film comes out early people, early reports are saying that it's dividing people of course it is, it's going to be divisive I don't know what my reaction is going to be I'm glad that I'm going to find out uh, tomorrow more than likely I'm going to go to the earliest screening possible and it's going to be cold as hell but thank god I can walk to the theater because it's not that far and I'm just going to watch it and I'm probably going to revel in the division of the fans in the crowd and the nerds and the funny me saying that, um, or the uh, the fanboys and the geeks about this whole thing online and how it's going to divide them and how and how they're going to be mad at certain things. Because again, even though I, I like this type of genre stuff, this isn't a particular thing that I'm super invested in, I'm kind of fringe, I'm kind of a fringe guy, so I'm not going to be as like, I don't own any Star Wars, uh, anything, but again, it's Star Wars, so I'm going to go see that, that's going to be the big thing. I think that like online, people just seem to enjoy when people dump on something so I I don't go I don't care about cats, but just seeing how the reviews are coming in for cats and people are like reveling in just like the horrible reviews is getting, or how people are enjoying seeing how divided people are in their in their uh reaction to any type of art is always interesting to me because I don't think they fully understand uh the nature of it is open to interpretation a lot of times and what can give you a visceral reaction and can resonate with you, the person right next to you, the person you've known your whole life, the person you love. It can make you go, What? You didn't like that? Some similar thing happened to me. Um me and uh Craig SJ or on Twitter, and we were talking, first of all, started, uh, Latrell James was talking about um, movie sound, uh, video game soundtracks, and it was like NBA, NBA uh, Street, Volume 2, it's like greatest movie soundtrack, uh, game soundtrack of all time, I, and I, I wrote cough, chrono trigger, cough, and someone else, uh, Eloquent jumped in, was like, nah, the answer is uh, Jet Set Radio, and I'm like, it's up there. And then um, somebody talked about uh, uh, Zelda Link to the Past. And Craig was like, Yeah, but you know, there's also Zelda Link to the Past. And I'm like, I'm not gonna lie, I never played it. And he was in shock, like, Oh my God, you never played it? And I explained, it was on SNES. I had a TurboGrafx 16 Turbo Duo. So I played, um, there was Dungeon Explorer. There was Newtopia. Some of you are like, what the fuck is he talking about? There was Dungeon Explorer. There was Newtopia. There was Book Um Ease Book One and Two. And then there was another game that was Incredible. Uh, look it up on, on YouTube. It was called Dragon Slayer Legend of Heroes. So I had those four uh RPGs playing on the TurboGraphic 16 Turbo Duo during the time where everybody was playing. Link um link to the past on um SNES, so I never played it. Like I think I played like my brother was playing Secret of Mana later, and I was like, oh okay, that's pretty cool, I guess. But um, they were in shock that I didn't play it because it's a legendary RPG, and I never heard this music. So just there's that visceral reaction, that instant reaction to people, to art. Where it's like, if you don't like it or you didn't play it, you're like, oh, my God, how could you not? And I always find that interesting. Because everybody doesn't react and everybody doesn't the same thing doesn't resonate with everybody, even people you think have like great taste. The Black Panther. Also, another thing that happened was the Black Panther soundtrack didn't do it for me. I loved the score. There are people that like used to, that played the Black Panther soundtrack every day for a year straight. Like, yo, this is my shit. And I remember listening to it. I was like, I like like four songs. Because it was just too off the wall. It was too trappy. I loved like all the stars and like uh, the uh, Georgia, the Georgia Smith song or what have you. And I like like a few songs here and there. But the whole thing, it was like, I think people really loved it just because it was like Kendrick and Black Panther. And they were like, oh, yeah. I I listened to it. I was like, yeah, this this is too young for me. But the score, fire. The score was amazing to me. And again, everything doesn't resonate with everybody on the same level. There are certain things that, you know, appeal to certain people and don't and don't to others. And I think that's what we have to keep in mind. And with any kind of art, we have to gauge that. Even in the same film or song or book, there are different things that are going to catch people at different points in different ways. Not everybody's going to react to the same thing the same way. Because not everybody is the same, has the same background, has the same sensibilities. That's just how it is. And as a writer... You have to anticipate that and you have to be able to be good with whatever people think or you having your favorite thing and people not liking it. You have to be good and secure in that. And not attack people for it, but also know that if you're going to be in this space and do certain things, you should you should have certain things in your background that, you know, and if you do have blind spots or things that you don't know about or don't quite understand Don't write about it or don't focus on it because you're doing yourself and your audience a disservice because it's not something that you're equipped to talk about or fully deal with because you're not well-versed in it. I feel like that's all I can say right now. And when it gets to be when the sun comes up. I'm going to see this damn movie and I have some like screeners in my um, email and I'm going to watch those because I'm not sure I'm going to sleep. All right, then one.